you're in Christian atheism. Pastor Rick did a great job of kind of setting it up last week. Yeah, if you showed up at church, there's a good chance already that you say you're a Christian. And it's easy enough to say, but what do we really believe? And you kind of talk about that difference where our lips and our life can diverge. Yes, we can give lip service to God and say we believe that, but our lives show that we really more live like an atheist. Nothing reveals that more. You want to know what you really believe. The moment when grief and suffering comes to your doorstep is when we oftentimes can find out what do we really believe. When everything hits the fan, when the bottom drops out, do I really believe in all this? So that's where we're kind of go. We're going to talk about grief and suffering this morning. To kind of set that up, I want to play for you a little video that my wife sent me to kind of set up our time. This is something she texted me earlier this week. That had nothing to do with the sermon, but I mean, I'm going to be talking about grief and pain all morning. I want to start off with something nice, you know, so I just wanted to start with something pleasant as we dive into talking about pain and suffering. All right, here we go. Because tell me that's not true. When this, when grief hits, when that's when we find out what do we really believe, I can narrow it down to you very specifically in my life. What year I had to really wrestle with this question? 2006 is when I had to figure out what do I really believe? I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, I mentioned talking about getting to watch a mom receive the news that she lost her son. I don't know that I filled in all the details. That was my mom. It was my brother. I remember that day. It's weird the details you remember driving to the hospital knowing, man, something isn't right with this situation and hearing that, you know, fatal. It was like a movie. Sorry he didn't make it. I could still see my mom just collapse. I don't even remember what I said, but I remember she told me that I just started screaming and just slamming the table and just screaming, no, no, no. In those moments, you have to decide, what do I really believe That was one of the most difficult things I ever had to walk through, only eclipsed by four months later, almost to the day, to hear my baby sister Annie was no longer with us. People say that often. And look, I hope you understand, this isn't, comparing grief never helps. You know, either you feel like, oh, but you never had to deal with this, or I never had to deal with that. Don't do that. Everybody's story is unique. Just what suffering you've experienced, grieve that well with the Lord. But in that moment, I don't know what broke your heart, but I, I never resonated with that. People saying, oh, your heart must be broken. I didn't feel like that. I felt like my heart was ripped out of my chest. I didn't feel like it was there. I just felt, I didn't feel broken. I felt hollow and empty. Because I could tell you very clearly, 
If you'd asked me any day before that July 9th what your greatest hope was, if God would have come to me and said, you get one miracle without blinking, there's one thing in the world I long for more than anything else. There's nothing I prayed for more than anything else than the redemption of my baby sister. She was one of the prettiest girls I've ever met. But life came at her hard and fast. She was abused in all of the worst ways. I mean, she was so wounded. And there's nothing more than I wanted than to seal her, to see her healed and redeemed. Every single baptism I sat through, it was the same. I celebrated those stories and I said, please, God, let my sister be one of those stories. God, please. And my greatest dream was ripped from my life in an instant. She was gone. And I don't know what you've been through, but that's when those moments, okay, what do I really believe? That happened July of 2006. August of 2006, I started full-time ministry. So here I am, I'm finally now paid to go tell people about a God that I didn't even know whether I really believed in anymore. When grief and suffering hit, how do we process that? What do we really believe? Do we process that like a Christian, like a theist, or do we process it like an atheist? Yes, giving lip service, calling ourselves a Christian, but we're no different than an atheist. To an atheist, what is suffering? It is all random. It's all meaningless. You just kind of roll the dice and sometimes you get a bad hand. That's how it is for an atheist. They walk away from God because they think it is incompatible. There's no way that God could love me, be all powerful and allow this to happen. That's the atheist claim. That is the great kind of suffering dilemma, the problem of evil. Are you compelled by that to walk away from God because he allowed you to suffer or do we suffer as theists, as Christians? What does that look like? How do we do that? Or when grief and suffering hits, we are no different than our atheistic neighbor. We may call ourselves a Christian, but we're Christian atheists. To process that as a Christian, it is very clear. It isn't that these are incompatible. That's a false dichotomy that God is either all loving, all knowing, or this wouldn't have happened. You don't have to choose between the two. Scripture is very clear. Listen to this verse. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Possibly the most broken command of scripture. Don't be surprised when suffering comes your way. What is the very first thing that happens to all of us when suffering happens? We're like, what is happening? Why, God, don't you? We, I mean, that is instantly what most of us turn to. We are shocked. And God is telling us, look, as a believer, and so many people are duped by this. They think once you give your life to Christ, your life is just nothing but roses and puppy dogs. God answers every prayer. God says, look, in this life, there will be trials. Don't be surprised. So as a theist, to understand, okay, there will be suffering, but here is the great difference. It is not meaningless. Joseph, one of the most famous innocent sufferers that we all know of in the Old Testament. I mean, he was enslaved in prison, falsely accused. But then kind of that great refrain at the end kind of wraps up some of what I love about understanding suffering as a believer. Genesis 50, 20. You meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good. So as a theist, we need to understand as a Christian, suffering pain will come and God will use it for good and for his glory. That's what we need to wrap our heads around. And again, the atheist wants to get you to believe that suffering and an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God are incompatible. I don't think that is the case. And I want to kind of just dive into some of the classic arguments a little bit before we dive into some other scriptures. One, Tim Keller pointed this out, and I love it. Do you notice, particularly in Job, I mean, you can't talk about suffering without Job, that God allows just enough suffering to achieve exactly the opposite of what Satan intended. I find that fascinating. I mean, if you look at that, what was Satan's intent to convince God that Job would turn from him and what happened? The exact opposite. It bolstered his faith. I mean, think of the cross. It's never more perfect. You know, Satan's intent to bring death through the cross, what did it result in? Eternal life. God only allows enough suffering in that, in those pictures to, to achieve exactly the opposite of what Satan intends. And I just love that. But we have to get over kind of, man, is this incompatible? This problem of evil, and it is difficult. That God can't be all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful and allow that to happen to you. Either he didn't know about it or he couldn't stop it, but there's no way they're all true. And I don't think you have to buy that. First off... When somebody stipulates it that way, when somebody states that God can't be all-knowing, say, hold on, time out. Just say this. If God is all-knowing, pose this question, is there a chance he knows more than you? Unless you're dealing with the most arrogant person in the world, they'll have to grant that. Okay, so God is all-knowing and I'm not, you're not. But we just say, I can't fathom how God would allow this to happen, you know, this genocide, this pain in my life. But you need to understand, okay, but if God is all-knowing, he knows more than you. And then ask him this question. Is there a chance, you know, God knows a reason for that that you can't fathom and understand? And then they'll have to grant, yes. And then next, this part's important, you just go, Boom! You know what I'm saying? Just drop the mic. Walk out. No, don't do that. Be, don't be smug. Don't. But that's the whole point. Look, you need to understand, at least get over the argument that these, God can, this can be true of God and suffering happen. This is true in my own life as a father. Think of, do you ever take your child to the doctor? Do you ever, did you get your kid vaccinated? I mean, that is a perfect illustration. Now, there's no way so I take Isaac in to get vaccinated. He understands that. Can you imagine me trying to, under, you know, trying to explain vaccinations you know, to my child and understand, well, see, son, this needs to happen, and we're going to... He would throw something, crap his pants, and then scream. Like, there's no way he's going to be able to grasp that. Is it really logical that we think we should grasp everything that's going to happen in our lives? It reminds me of... See, I got a two-year-old. There's a lot of Sesame Street in my home. So, any Elmo fans? I love you. Can raise your hand. Don't be shit. Yeah, as an adult, we watch a lot of Elmo, and there is a every bit. There's the Elmo talks to a baby. You ever see it? If you remember back, there was like, you know, oh, it's a baby, and he goes and talks to a baby, like, hi, baby, and then he tries to like explain something to the baby, and the baby's just like, <laughs> and then the bit's over. It's ridiculous. It's hilarious. It's like, oh, hi, baby, and then they talk. 
for me to understand. I mean, no more than Elmo to be able to understand how to teach a baby to read that I'm going to be able to fathom all of God's working of the universe. I mean, the gap between Elmo and a baby is infinitesimally less than the gap between us and God. For me to wrap my head around every reason for suffering is impossible. There's no way that we're going to know that. But in this case, I loved my kid. I knew what was happening. I had the power to stop it, and I didn't. And think of that child. Dad, why would you hate me? Why would you allow this person to bring such pain to me? It wasn't that I didn't love him. It wasn't that I didn't know it was going to happen, and it wasn't that I lacked the power to stop it. I did. That was a small doctor. I could have worked that dude. If I wanted to, I could have stopped it. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't have fought him, but I could have stopped, you know. But do you see that? Do you understand at least how this isn't, they're not incompatible? That just because God is all-loving, all-knowing, and all-powerful, and evil exists doesn't mean that God can't exist. We see that all the time with our kids. So we need to wrap our heads around that. But even more, I want us to dive in. How? Because so much, and I want to warn you, even some of these things that I'll tell you could be true, but you're not ready to hear them. And even that's one of, kind of a nice philosophical argument. But how do we do that in our life? I want to encourage you, encourage us. We need to begin to change our perspective to have a biblical perspective of suffering. It's one of the first things I want to help us wrap our head around and that's to have a perspective of grace. What is grace? It's receiving something that you didn't deserve. Do you see your life as a gift from God? You need to understand everything you have, your health, your body, your kids, every loving relationship that you have is a gift from God. If it is a gift, if it is grace... In your life, I pray that you make this shift, that you see that you are a steward, not an owner. Do you know the difference? An owner is somebody who possesses something. A steward is simply somebody who manages somebody else's possessions. If you've ever been to our baby dedication, I say it to them every time. They don't listen or believe me, but I'll still say it anyway, and you'll hear me say it. These kids are not your possession. They are God's kids. God created them. You are simply there to steward them as their parents. And that is extremely different to be a steward and an owner. If I own something and somebody takes that from me, how do I feel? To quote Chris Farley, angry. If somebody takes something that's yours, how do you feel? How dare you? That was mine. Get your hands off. You call the cops. That's stealing. If you own something and somebody takes it from you, you are livid. You rage against it. That's not right. And that's what we do with everything in our life. That was my health. That was my job. That was my kid. That was my sister. How dare you take her from me? Was she ever really mine? Anything. As an atheist, you say, no, I worked hard for this. Really? Who gave you a brain? Everything we have is a gift. And the more we can wrap our heads around that, 
okay, I'm a steward, not an owner. How different is it if somebody gives you a gift and lets you borrow something and you know they're coming back to get it? Well, you enjoy it while you have it. Whenever they come and get that back, you miss it, you're sad, it's gone. You grieve the loss of that but you don't rage against it because it was never truly yours. Listen to the words of Job that had this perspective of grace. I mean, Job gets the worst news ever, ever, just loses everything. Listen to his response. See if you can spot the grace in there. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. Because, here's what he thought, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I debated having my first bullet point not be grace, but just be nakedness. But every deacon in middle school would be, de- would be giggling all morning, <laughs> nakedness is on the slide, so I didn't. But that's, you get the point of grace, what he's saying. I came into this world naked. Look, nothing do I own. What do you have in your life that you did not receive? Even if it's your very breath in your lungs, your ability to think. Look, everything you have. That's how Job could lose everything. He had a perspective of grace. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. I remember, I mean, there's a famous song after that line. I remember the first time being able to sing that song. I finally was starting to wrap my heads around grace. God, you give and take away. You give and take away. But blessed be your name. You get to that place. Can we wrap our heads around grace? I have nothing. Everything I have. I deserve hell. God gives me blessings and I can't rage against God. I can be angry. It can be difficult when he takes those gifts back. Secondly, a perspective I want us to have. Hopefully you have a perspective of grace and an eternal perspective. Now, this is a huge difference. If you are a Christian, you should not live and believe as an atheist. So as an atheist, life is just one big casino. Enjoy life. You keep rolling the dice and hopefully things go your way. But do you understand as a believer, look, you are not just living for the here and now. We have an eternal perspective that we need to wrap our heads around. And in all of our suffering, can we fix our eyes to eternity? And that's so hard. And I hope you don't hear me at anything as compassionate in the midst of that. Because in the midst of our suffering, it feels like this will be forever. But can we fix our eyes to eternity? As an atheist... All it is is the here and now. I listened to an, an, she didn't say she was an atheist, but at least a a TED talk on walking through grief and suffering. And I was amazed how inconsistent it is. I think we can be, as Christians, inconsistent and act like atheists, but I think atheists can be inconsistent and act like Christians and act like believers. So here she is in the midst of her cancer saying, man, I went out to the stars and I prayed to the stars for a miracle because my soul needed one. Do you understand how inconsistent that is? Stars don't hear you. You can't pray to stars. Without God, there are no miracles. There's only the laws of physics that cannot be violated, and you don't have a soul. If you're an atheist and you just believe in the material, 
The soul is immaterial. You don't have a soul. So, as an atheist, your only hope, and I went on to read a bunch of her blogs, and my heart broke for her because the best that you can have, and we are so tempted to this in the midst of grief and suffering, just cling to, em- just cling to empty promises. I'm going to read in her blog, I just trust, I know that I'm going to beat this cancer. You know the problem with that? Some people die of cancer. Not every, she doesn't know that. Not everybody beats that. So the best that you can do as an atheist, and sometimes as a Christian, the best we're doing is just giving ourselves empty promises. This won't happen or God won't allow this. What we need to do is not act like a Christian atheist. Act like a Christian and understand, and I know this is hard, that I don't just live for now. I need to wrap my head around eternity. Listen to this verse. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God is calling us as much as you can, as much as you seem focused on your pain, can you fix your eyes and remember eternity? First time I read this, I was almost insulted by it. So in the midst of all your troubles, for me to tell you they're light and momentary. Somebody told me in the midst of my trials that that is light and momentary, I would have smacked them. What are you talking about? In your trials, if I'd have told you, hey, explain everything in describing this, how far down the list would light and momentary be? It almost doesn't make sense unless we consider eternity. Listen to me. Everything in this world is temporary. It says it right there. And as a believer in Christ, do you understand your pain will not go on forever. It is temporary. And every pain that's temporary set next to eternity is momentary. That was so deep. I'm going to say it again. You can write it down if you want. But you get that. Look, look, anything that's temporary in light of eternity is momentary. Understand, look, your pain may not feel like it, but it will end. And our hope isn't just even if I suffer for the next 60 years, I can get through it in light of eternity. Last perspective. To view suffering as purposeful. Again, as an atheist, all suffering is meaningless. And I know some people aren't ready to hear this if you are in the thick of it. But this became very healing in my journey along the way. To understand God does not waste your pain. God does not revel in your pain. What what Satan meant for evil, God will use it for good. And this was huge for me. It is weird how many times you study passages on grief. It says rejoice in your suffering. Like, God, are you crazy? What do you mean rejoice in suffering? In some ways, it doesn't even make sense. And here's the thing. It's not saying rejoice just in suffering alone. There's no joy. God doesn't take joy in your pain. Every time as you unpack, it's saying rejoice in the result of your suffering. Rejoice in the result of your pain because God is using it. God will never waste your pain, even if you never see it or begin to get a picture of that. It is purposeful. And that was huge for me in my pain to realize that it wasn't for nothing. 
I will never forget climbing those stairs to my sister's apartment to say goodbye. I mean, this was probably, if not the darkest moment of my life, sitting, kneeling next to her body. And I remember in that moment, look, I have never heard an audible voice. But this is as close to audible as I've ever heard. As I am there, I just hear God tell me, pray. And I know it was the voice of God in the sense, because I wasn't thinking about this. I wasn't thinking, oh, this is a nice time to witness There were cops, there were firemen all in the room. It was a crime scene at the time. And I hear God tell me to pray, and I pray, and I just hear the room quiet down, and all, everybody respectfully, police and firemen, just listen to the prayer, and I prayed through the gospel. A couple years later, I was discipled by Dwayne Krabs, who was a fireman that went into ministry. And the healing he brought to me when I told him about that story Say the impact that it has on those men to be in the midst of death and destruction and to experience grace and light in that. So much change for me because I thought, I don't know, but I would love to meet a fireman in heaven one day. I'd love to meet a cop in heaven one day who tells me it was that moment that I watched and heard God speak in the midst of death that I knew he was real and I walked towards him. One of the darker, more difficult seasons of our church was when Barb Barb Carter passed. I mean, was there anybody in our church more beloved than Barb? So full of life and love. Everybody loved her. And we sit here today, God, why would you take her? It makes no sense. Of all the people, God, why? Why? And to wrestle with that. But then, I know we don't always see it, but to see God peel back the curtain at times and understand how he's using that. It was not but a couple weeks ago in the corner of that church that Barb's daughter, Jen, gave her life to Jesus. You want to know why she did that? I asked her and she told me. It was watching my mom go through that that I knew God was real. She told the story when she got to go to the hospital. I mean, one of the last days of Barb's life to hear her mother say, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to see him. And it's that moment that Jen knew he is real. So God is using that, using that pain to bring about purpose. And I know not everybody is ready to hear that. And there are times where you'd have told me that, that I would have laughed in your face. But I have to believe God doesn't waste your tears. God doesn't waste your pain. I promise you there's purpose and he is using it. If that is the case, can we wrap our heads around a biblical perspective and from there, I hope that we would change our priorities. The priorities of an atheist are clear. This life is all there is. Live it up. Live for comfort now. And if, if that comfort is gone, of course you're going to rage. It's going to feel hopeless. But as a believer, my priority isn't just here and now. It is eternity. It is your perspective. And even in the midst of pain, my priority to glorify God 
to allow people to see Jesus through me, through my pain. My priority is to follow him when he gives and when he takes away. It's to surrender to him, to allow him to be God and me to be his disciple. Is that your priority? Or is your priority to live a good, easy, comfortable life? And when suffering comes, you will rage against that. If your priority is, God, I want to be used by you. And if my temporary pain can result in someone else's eternal joy, I'll take that deal every single time. When I get to talk to Barb in heaven and get to ask her, are you willing, were you grateful to experience some temporary pain so that you can spend eternal joy with your daughter in heaven? I feel good about knowing what she would say. Is that our priority? It's so interesting as we think of the philosophical problem of evil and suffering. You know what the debate is? If you look at Job, the debate isn't, is God still God and allow suffering to happen? That is settled right there in the book of Job. You know, the only thing that isn't settled, you know what the great wager and debate is in Job, is will Job continue to love you? That's the thing that we need to understand and it is our priority. I'm only gonna love God when he gives me things or, it, or is your priority that no matter what happens, you can give and take away. I will follow you. I will worship you because you're worthy. I will serve you because you're worthy for me to serve you. Think of how many movies. When you have kind of somebody really rich or, you know, somebody royal. I mean, think of Coming to America, lots of other great movies out there. You know, think of all the different movies. What happens? They conceal their wealth. Why? Because they have to know that person, are they marrying me for me or do they just want my what? Money. Is that true of you? And only in suffering do you truly get to find out, do you worship God because he's God or do you just follow him because he blesses you? Suffering is a beautiful opportunity to settle that debate in your own heart and mind. I follow him. I want I want Satan to lose that bet on me. He doesn't really love you. They don't really follow you. You're just blessing them. That's what Satan said about Job. They just follow you because you're making their life easy. You take that away and they will curse you. I don't want that to be true of me. I don't want that to be true of you. I don't follow God because he blesses me. I enjoy those blessings. I follow God because he's worthy. And you can give, you can take away, and I will still sing, blessed be his name. Is that your priority? Or is your priority just to have a nice, comfortable life? Look, in the end, and again, this is the hardest part for me, is understanding everybody's at a different place of their journey. I know some people aren't even ready to hear that. I pray you are. I wasn't ready to hear that till later in it bringing, a part, bringing healing in my own life. But in the end... This is my hope and encouragement to everybody. Yes, we need to change our perspective, change our priorities, but your only hope is to seek his presence. That is my hope and prayer for you this morning, that you would open yourself up to his presence because that's what you need. That is when everything changed for me. An atheist, you're only in the circumstances game. To be a Christian, you're in the business of God and his glory. I was at Starbucks on 91. 
I met with another pastor who also lost a sibling. I had to get coffee. I had to sit outside because I was too embarrassed to sit in the Starbucks because I knew I was just going to be sobbing. And so I go around the corner of the building just, just weeping and so angry at God because I thought he was angry at me. And then it was such a simple sentence, but it changed so much for me. To hear that other pastor say, look, if you could see Jesus right now, he's sitting next to you weeping. And that changed for me. Because I thought this whole time, the only reason I was suffering is because God had left me. That God was against me. And that's what we think, and that's what we could run to, that God is doing this to me, and I'm experiencing pain because God is against me. But to understand, God was with me. And once I knew God was with me in that, I knew I could make it because he is enough. It's exactly what Mary and Martha thought when Jesus comes, Lazarus had died. They said, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. They thought there was suffering because Jesus wasn't present with them. But you get this picture of Jesus weeping with them outside of that tomb. Now see, all along, I thought God was against me, was angry at me. As I sat at my brother and sister's funeral, I thought God was on the other side of that casket, putting them in the grave. I thought God was on the other side of that hospital bed doing this to them because he was against me. And then to finally understand that God wept with me, that Jesus wasn't over there, that's sitting right next to me. Jesus was there weeping with me. I'm amazed how much I think of that stupid footprints poem. It's on like every other bathroom in America. But the beauty of that, and we were talking about this, look, we don't always feel it. But in our worst times, it's not God, listen to me. Look, God has not abandoned you. God is with you in the midst of that. He allows things that I never thought he ever would, but I can tell you right now that he is with you, weeping beside you. And that makes all the difference in the world. You don't need a change of circumstances. You don't need just a better diagnosis, a better job, a better whatever it is for you. To be a Christian, you're not in the circumstances game. You're in the glory of God game. I pray that even as we sing this final song, maybe today again, or maybe for the first time, you open up your heart and allow the presence of God to surround you. Because that's what you need. Will you pray with me? Father, would you please be gracious to us in this time? And I know the temptation, God, as we all walk through difficult things. God, I pray that that wouldn't cause us to walk away from you, that that would cause us to lean into you. God, I want us to understand a biblical picture. God, I want us to get grace. I want us to get eternity. God, I want you to use my life. I don't want you to waste any pain. But in the midst of all of that, I have one simple prayer for all of us, and it's, God, we need you. 
we would open up our hearts to you, maybe again for the first time, and realize you are with us. You are weeping alongside of us right now, and I know that because of Jesus, and it's in that name that we pray. Amen.